Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. What have any of us really given up for the sake of someone else? And if this is the one I call Lord, why am I so obsessed with defending what I think is mine? You see, it's not about your rights. It's not even about being right. It's about learning to love. Hello, my friends. This is episode three of the current series, Try Something Different, Surrender. And this is season four, episode 14 overall of Keeping the Faith, my podcast. And I can't thank you enough for listening and tuning in. And that's enough of me talking right now. We'll get right to the talk today. Based on Philippians chapter 2, great passage, early hymn from the Apostle Paul. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. You may not have known it, but it was National Dog Day this past week. It's a relatively new celebration begun in 2004. It, it was and is intended to bring awareness <clears throat> to animals that are in shelters and in need of rescue. But for some of us, there need not be an official day because around our homes, it's National Dog Day all the time. As I have said repeatedly over the years, when I die, I only want to come back as one of Cindy McBrayer's dogs because they are the most pampered and cared for and well-fed and looked after creatures on God's green earth. Now, you know these two living legends, Toby and Mo. Toby on your left in that picture, the Shih Tzu poodle mix who thinks he weighs 100 pounds and has the bark and appetite of exactly that. He has survived rooftop strolls, multiple moves, helping us raise three boys, numerous pizza pull-offs from the countertop, multiple trash can turnovers in which he has devoured enough garbage to kill a billy goat. And then there's Mo, my COVID comforter, our family's number two dog, but number one love sponge. He showed up at Tom and Cindy Talty's house on a blistering summer day years ago. He came to us as a temporary way station and never left. But do you know this guy? Oh, his name was Jack. Jack was our gateway drug to the world of dogs. It was way back in 2011, the older boys were getting ready to go through puberty, Cindy was about to go through menopause, and I was about to go insane. Hey, you know what we need? A dog. <laughs> well, it didn't go exactly like that, but I asked the boys what they thought we should get mom for Mother's Day, and a dog is what they came up with. My first reaction was right, another mouth to feed, another butt to clean, another mess to Watch after, that's exactly what she needs. 
But it was Braden who thought about it a minute, and I quote, and here is Braden picking Jack out all those years ago. I quote Braden, Now that we are all grown, maybe she needs a friend. We moved to the Georgia mountains shortly thereafter for just a little while to help my friend Chad after the death of his wife. And it was there that sweet Jack became ill with what we thought was a cold. And we carried him to the veterinarian where he was diagnosed, Dr. Berry, with blastomycosis. Blastomycosis is this nasty infection of the lungs and sweet little Jack's case proved lethal. And Cindy and I split a six-pack one afternoon before the boys got home from school and buried him along the tree line right behind the house. And to this day, we visit his grave more than some of our departed family members, I think. But on the day he was interred, I asked the vet if there was anything we could have done differently or more quickly as Jack seemed healthy one day and terminal the next. And the doctor's answer all those years ago has never left me. He said, I'm sure Jack had been sick for much longer than you could have known. Our pets at heart are still wild animals. And they will hide their weaknesses. Because in the wild, weakness means death. What an answer. In the wild, the slightest fragility gets you cut from the herd. It gets you expelled from the pack. It gets you gobbled up by a predator. And the centuries upon centuries of domestication does not easily overturn the eons of biological evolution and instinct. So the animal hides its deficiencies. It camouflages its vulnerabilities. And granted, if little Jack had shown us sooner that he was sick, if he could have set aside that natural tendency to never appear weak, he might have been healed. But his nature was too strong, too far bent in the opposite direction of anything like that. And little rescue dogs aren't the only animals with such tendencies. We are built the same way. We too have been conditioned to survive be it physically or emotionally. And so we employ all of these camouflage techniques to hide our limitations. You do it. I do it. Our fears, our defects, our anxieties, those are too strong for us to reveal and to show. And so we mask those with bravado and addiction, protectionism, And we carefully craft these facades to keep the predators away, to keep everyone away. We can't be vulnerable, we can't risk exposure, we can't let down our guard or lower our weapons or release our grip. And just like little Jack, we hold out until death is upon us. Carl Jung said that we will hide behind our egos to the point of becoming pathological. That seems about right these days. And the only way to achieve a measure of wholeness is to, quote, expunge our internal invisible toxins that will only continue to percolate within us and poison us from within. We need spiritual detox. We need to empty ourselves. This is the next step in this series of talks 
begun a few weeks ago, try something new. Surrender. Surrender is that one spiritual discipline, the giving up of your own way, the daily cross that we carry. Surrender is the letting go, the loosening of our grip, the resignation of your place as would-be controller of your life and of the world. As Jesus said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. And Jesus goes on to describe the act of surrender as a bloody affair, a crucifixion. As suffering is usually required for us to let go of anything. Because it is the human nature that we usually do not change until we have to. And what we learned last week was that the enemy to all of this is our ego, our hubris, our pride which is the devil in disguise. From nation states to we little individuals tangled up in the nets of our individualism, this is our instinctive nature and it is a trap. We go further today, a deeper dive or at least a turn of the prism to see another facet of ego. It's another timely observation because today our text is about rights. I have rights, don't you know? Unalienable rights. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. You can't take my rights away from me. You can't tell me what to do. I'll shoot you. Or worse, I'll sue you. Have you noticed that we are increasingly litigious in our culture? Have you noticed that when you pay your insurance, be it on your car or your home or your business... That there's a big line in that insurance called liability. And it's there because you might do something foolish that will hurt someone else. It's also there because someone could come along with or without reason and sue you. They've got attorneys. We've got attorneys. They've got lawsuits. We've got lawsuits. And we have the inability, it seems, to step back or to step down. To answer the call of the prophet Isaiah. Come, let us reason together. Whatever happened to that? And we are caught in this death struggle because we can't let our ego crash back down to the earth. In Jesus' life, His very incarnation is a rebuke of this kind of living. I'm not saying you should never have an attorney. I'm talking about the egocentric way that we live. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org and click on podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand and you can also choose your favorite listening platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify so that you will never miss 
a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. Jesus' life was driven by the opposite, by something the Apostle Paul called, in the Greek language, kenosis. And we heard about it in Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8. Can we get that slide of that text up one more time? Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of Himself. Now that's a good place to begin. The old translations say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind of Christ. Because that gets at it. Religion has always been into behavior modification. That if we can change the way people act, then the world will be a better place. And that's not a bad idea. But if you concentrate only on the exterior and how people behave, no lasting change will ever take place. What has to change is the inner person. What has to change, if our actions will change, is a change in how we think. A change in who we are. Start thinking more like Jesus first, and you might start acting more like Jesus second. Next line, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Okay, Jesus had equal status with God. Now, that's, that's a mouthful. That's a pretty, that's pretty good resume, don't you think? That comes along, it should, you would think, with a few perks. Jesus of Nazareth, what are your qualifications? Son of God. Equal with God. Have you ever heard somebody use this phrase? Maybe you've used this phrase. Well, who died and left you, God? Anybody ever use that one? Of course you have. We use that phrase when somebody's acting all high and mighty. Good southern phrase for that is too big for your britches. I don't know the etymology of that, but I'll find out and let you know. When someone starts getting high and mighty, we accuse them of some sort of egotistical divine complex. Well, here's Jesus who actually has the right to be high and mighty. And He's not high and mighty at all. He's humble. And then there's the word there. This was not something He had to cling to. That word cling is what we've been talking about for these weeks. And this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used. It means to seize, to take... And it describes what a thief does when they steal something and get caught and they're on the run. What a graphic phrase. This thief is hanging on to this treasure that he has stolen and taken for himself and he will not let it go, not even if his life is dependent upon it because he has risked his life to get a hold of it. We all have those things in our life They're so precious to us and we work so hard to get them. And we will hold on to that. That's the human nature. Whatever it is that we have clung to, we will hold it at all costs. Even if we're not entitled to it. Jesus was entitled to all privilege and He still 
will not cling to that. What did he do? Next phrase. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And it was the worst kind of death, the crucifixion. Here is the essential text of the attitude and action necessary to follow Jesus. Necessary to surrender. You have to set aside your privilege. Again, the older English translations say, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He made himself nothing. And there is that Greek word, kenosis. It means to pour out. To drain a container. To be hollow on the inside. It is complete and total emptiness. Jesus emptied himself of his rights and his privileges. He considered becoming human and loving and serving others to be more important than his comfort. To be more important than his rights. And that is the attitude of Jesus. That is the mind of Christ. To take his attitude, you do the same. You have to get down. You have to go low. You have to give up on all you think you deserve. And what you think you are owed. You stop worrying about your reputation. And what other people think about you. You stop being concerned with making a bigger name for yourself. As if you have got something to prove. You stop thinking in terms of what other people are trying to take from you. Steal from you. Or cheat you out of. You stop clinging to your place at the front of the line. You stop viewing everything through the lens of persecution. And you ask yourself this question. If the God of heaven crossed time, space, and universe to come to this bloody, war-torn, unjust speck of the cosmos, if that magnificent extraterrestrial creature would choose to become human, And even then to become a slave. And even then going lower to die a shameful, humiliating death. For those that would largely hate, reject, and defile Him. What have any of us really given up for the sake of someone else? And if this is the one I call Lord... Why am I so obsessed with defending what I think is mine? You see, it's not about your rights. It's not even about being right. It's about learning to love. That's where surrender ultimately leads us all. To give away ourselves in love. And to refuse clinging, grasping, and protecting what belongs to us. Here's an example I've used in the past. I'll use it again today. You know it. More than 90 years ago now, two young boys, one named Jerry and one named Joe, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, 
started drawing these little cartoon heroes in the darkest days of the Great Depression. They were inspired by the legends of the Old Testament and the stories that were told to them by their Jewish immigrant parents and their rabbis. And the boys were attempting to give the world some much-needed hope. And they developed this supercharged luminary in particular, and his name was Kalel, the voice of God in Hebrew. Who was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap a tall building in a single bound? We know him as Superman, of course. And isn't his story more than familiar to us? Not just because we've heard it before, but because we have really heard it before. A father from the heavens sends his only son to save the earth, telling him, quote, The people of earth can be a great people, they only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, I have sent them you, my only son. When Kal-El arrives, he is, raised, he is raised by adoptive parents. He travels to the wilderness at 30 to commune with his true father. And at age 30, the same age when Jesus began, he starts his vocation as Savior of the world. We've heard this story before. But here is where the story of Kal-El and the story of Jesus parts ways. How does Kal-El, the Superman, spend most of his life on planet Earth? He is Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter who bumbles his way around Metropolis. Clark is always practicing this self-restraint, always hiding his powers, always in some sort of disguise, even though I could never figure out why people couldn't tell that it was actually Superman behind those wayfarers. He's always faking it. Because his powers are still there. He has command of those powers. And what you see in Clark Kent is a facade. Jesus actually became a human being. Jesus actually limited Himself. There was no S hiding beneath His tunic. He was just a guy. And that is the scandal and glory of it all. Everybody wants to be Superman. There's no sacrifice in being Superman. There's no surrender in being Superman. You just place your aids and peep over those wayfarers most of the day. And when you're called upon, you still get a chance to flex your muscles and be in charge. If you can just find a phone booth. You still have power. Everybody wants to be Superman. Nobody wants to be Jesus. Because he was actually weak. Limited. He folds at that crucial moment when he could have become the hero. And they accused him that day on the cross. The religious leaders did. You saved others. Why can't you save yourself? And Superman would have. But Jesus did not. And yet it is His example, and it is His voice, and it is His attitude that calls out to us 
unceasing. These are words from Episcopal priest and author Stephanie Spellers. I just thought they were right on. It's a little lengthy, but would you let these land on your heart today? Jesus' life on earth was a purely kenotic, kenosis again, downwardly mobile path. Jesus could have been a prince on a throne, holding power, riches, and every kind of privilege. Instead, he denied it. He let it go. He consciously chose a path that assured suffering, humiliation, desolation, and finally death on the cross. None of this was an accident or coincidence. Jesus entered as he did, where he did, doing what he did, so we could finally comprehend the truth. God is not a sky king who heads an empire. God is the love that gives itself away for the sake of more love. Jesus could only communicate that point by standing outside the power structures and inviting disciples to join Him and discover new life with Him on the margins. In Jesus, God shows us what it looks like to be this vulnerable. To be humble and self-giving. In Him, we see One who did not run from the things that broke his heart. Nor did he first calculate what he could gain from a situation. Jesus sought instead to give away his life. So that he and others might flourish as God intends. Granted, this is a very non-American way of being. Think of the phrases that shape our national identity. We assert our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which means we are free, even expected, to organize our lives around our own individual desires. Thus, so much of our story consists of groups of people protecting themselves and what's theirs with a gun or a flag or the cloak of race, class, or gender. Jesus' story is exactly the opposite. In this moment, as we reckon with the limits of selfishness, we could lean into the Jesus way. We could reclaim kenosis, or perhaps claim it for the first time and learn anew what it means to let go, even of ourselves. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at RonnieMcBrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always, Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith. And I thank you for listening.